Hi, everybody. Welcome to another show of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. And I have Christopher Nelson here. And Christopher is an experienced technology executive. He has IPO'd three times, I believe. Um, and he's a real estate investor, author, and co-founder of WealthWord Capital, a real estate investment firm with a diverse portfolio of over 3,000 multifamily units, mobile home parks, and ATM funds. Um, Christopher shows technology employees how to achieve financial independence through education and creating passive income portfolios. He is currently editing his book, From No Dough to IPO, and hopefully will be an all-time great seller. Um, and uh, so welcome to our show today, Christopher. Thank you very much for having me. I am a longtime listener and excited to be on the show. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. This means a lot to me. Um, and so Christopher, um, we always start our show by asking our guest, um, if you're thinking back in your career upbringing, uh, what are some incidents or a single person that makes you think about becoming the entrepreneur who you are today? I would have to say that it was my maternal grandfather. My grandfather, when I let he and my parents know that I wanted to go make money when I was seven or eight years old, he was the one that showed me how to uh, you know, develop some skills in working with the yard. And he was also then the one who helped go get customers for me because he knew a lot of people in town who needed some, some yard work. And maybe it was, you know, older couples in the community or older widows. And so then he would take me around and I would get the opportunity to work and make money. That's awesome. And, uh, and then, so you had a W2, um, you know, career. Can you kind of walk us through kind of your life getting to your first jobs and how then you converted that and all of a sudden become a investor? Yeah. So, you know, when I was in school and I was studying to become a, a software engineer, I actually was reading, you know, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad at that time. And I, I was thinking to myself, okay, how do I really start setting up myself for financial success in the future? Because I knew that, you know, a W-2 job was going to be the opportunity to start creating money. Now, when I went into the workforce at the beginning of, uh, or at the end of 2001, it was really post, you know, 9-11, it was mm -hmm. post the dot-com bust. So people were really steering you towards you know, larger established companies. So I had the opportunity to go to work for Accenture, a large technical consulting company. And it was there that I started participating in their ESPP, their employee stock purchase program. Mm -hmm. And I really studied it and I found the opportunity to buy the stock at a discount. So I was actually, you know, making 15% as soon as I bought it and I could sell it and I could get that then, or I could also continue to hold that and watch it grow. And so that was really my first foray into understanding that, you know, working for a public company tech equity was actually a great way to, to make money and augment my salary and my bonus. Yeah. And, that's awesome. And then, yeah. and then what is the, what's the winning formula there? Should you sell right away getting the 15%? Like, did you come to conclusion, which way is it better to go? Well, I think it's it, like it's it's all investing. So I think it's really if you believe underlying fundamentals of your company and that mm -hmm. it is going to continue to grow and that it is you know managing it, its its expense line, then you can choose to go along with it like you would for other stocks. I chose yeah. to do that, and that actually created a nice you know nest egg you know that I was then able to go uh, you know translate into building some other businesses. Yeah, definitely. And then so. 
I know Accentral, I know a lot of people that work with them. So it's a very kind of consultant-based company. So you do probably have a lot of freedom to be kind of like the, the self-project owner and et cetera. So it's a different environment versus like, let's say working for the large, you know, Google or Microsoft or so. Um, yeah. it, it, very much so because of the fact that it was a lot of travel and moving to the client site, but it did have a lot of structure, but it did allow, you know, a lot of freedom where you were geographically to actually be able to, you know, build businesses, create side hustles. And it, it was actually... Mm-hmm. I created in 2005, I started building a juice and smoothie bar in Tucson, Arizona with a friend because our goal was to get a cash flowing business and then have that buy real estate for us. What we didn't see coming, what many people didn't was in 2008, as the tsunami of, you know, the great recession hit, our stores were quickly swallowed up. We could not compete uh, for a, you know, four or $5 smoothie against a $5 foot long sandwich. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had to start over. And at that point I was 10 years into my career. And so I thought, you know, now's the time to go work for equity in a startup company. So mm-hmm. I left Accenture and I went to work for a startup. And as you know, you know, I was fueled by passion. I was fueled by emotion. And guess what? I made a series of horrible decisions and I wound up working for a bad boss in a very bad situation. Yeah. But it's really out of our failures, right? That we're actually able to build. And so I realized that I had been fueled by emotion and I had not looked at this the same way that I would, mm-hmm. you know, a stock investment. So that's when I started creating this process that I share in my book, Node IPO, of how you actually look for not just the company and under and look analyze it with a due diligence criteria, but you also look at your manager and say, who am I working for? Who's going to help, you know, build and support what I call my career capital, my education, experience, mm-hmm. and results that is actually going to allow me to trade for more equity. And so then in 2011, when I went and I chose the right manager, networked my way into the right manager, mm-hmm. I actually then started working for uh, a company called Splunk. I was employee 417. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, a year later, we had a tremendous IPO and my family had a multiple seven-figure payday. Wow, that's awesome. Where do you go network to find the right manager? And where do you even start? Let's just kind of go from the beginning. Where do you even start to get into the startup scene? You know, well, I'd say I'd say where you start is always look at who you know, right? I undervalued who I already knew, right? When I was in this bad job, I was out of, I was not in the Bay Area where my network was, where I'd spent my first 10 years. I was actually in San Diego. Mm. So when I called into somebody who I'd worked for before and I was feeling stuck and trapped, all of a sudden, number one is they communicated to me like, oh, wow, I can't believe that, you know, you're this unhappy. I have a ton of opportunities for you. Yeah. And they, they, they spoke into me like a mentor and really re-articulated my value, which changed my mindset immediately. And yeah. then number two is they talked about the fact that they could introduce me to people, right? Mm-hmm. I had never really leaned in and said, in this search for a startup, can you introduce me to people who are doing X? Introduce me to people who are doing Y. Right. The other thing that I learned how to do is how do you actually understand and see if somebody has a track record of success? I mean, today it's all over LinkedIn. You can go and you can actually look and see who has been at what company, what was that role? What was their tenure there? And you can get a general idea of 
you know, has a person experienced success in the startup space? Maybe that's through exits mm. and acquisitions, or maybe it is through IPOs, but mm. it's really through starting to reach out and ask for introductions. And then they, the other way to do it is through meetups and formal networking groups. There are a lot out there and you just need to reach out and get busy. Mm. And I know the majority of us, when you get into real estate, you have to do it. Right. Right. Like, but the whole you real estate game is a, is a huge, like a networking you know, networking event. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And, but this is where professionally, well, like we need to do that same thing too. And there's a ton of opportunities. And so I actually found my way into a formal networking group where, you know, we paid to get mentored by more senior professionals. You know, oh, wow. I was on the IT side like yourself. So it was really a group of uh, chief information officers. And I joined the the CDP, the chief information CIO development program. And I met a ton of peers and, we're all friends to this day. Many of them are at large companies that, you know, uh, Peloton, Toast, mm -hmm. they've been at Uber, like they've been everywhere. And so now we have this network that's very connected that can then provide us tremendous opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then if you're a real estate investor, then you want to get into these programs, being rubbing shoulders with people who you want to learn from and then right you know. right a hundred percent elisa like there are the same concepts of networking mm -hmm. is how do you find people who are being successful how do you then figure out people who know them that you can actually get to get time with them and i, yeah. I think that's so important to find you know in everything we do find mentors and people that can show us the shortcuts can share with us the healthy scar tissues and yeah. so this was my path so it was really that event the ipo when all of a sudden we had this sudden wealth event that really started accelerating our learning into the real estate because at that point in time what i realized is that i'd worked so hard to get to the moment to generate the money but then it was a lot of anxiety and frustration of, okay, now we actually have to put this to work. Now we have to actually go build out this other network. We have mm -hmm. to go and do a lot of education and research to start deploying capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you went IPO with Splunk. Everybody uses Splunk. If you're a developer, you, you use That's Splunk. Right. Um, and, uh, and then, so you went IPO with this. So I understand that currently that you're teaching other people how to kind of negotiate equity is and seeing your job as an investment, essentially. So how did you kind of negotiate that, you know, aside from, hey, finding the right boss for this, but also like, how did you kind of negotiate your equity when you first started doing the startup? So what should people kind of expect? Um, well, so number one is, I think it's really getting grounded into mm -hmm. understanding what is your skill set and what is the market there? So what I did is I did market research on what was my role. At that point in time, my goal was to go in at a director level because what I realized is that a director is a junior executive, right? It's in between sort of a manager, between a vice president, but they actually get a substantial quantity of equity and so the goal was to become a director. So what I did is I surveyed, you know, and looked at what my previous experience was, mm -hmm. what other directors experience were, so that then I essentially was partnering with my manager at the time who wanted to hire me, who was my mentor, mm -hmm. uh, to say, okay, let's get you in at a director level. And then I actually then knew what the going, uh, you know, what the uh, level of shares would be. And then it was just, 
is I got into the negotiation. The one thing that I always, always tell people is, is when you get an offer from a tech company, they're going to walk you through everything. They're going to walk you through the, the base. If there's a bonus, here's the equity. And then they're going to give you the benefits. The first question that you need to ask is you just take a pause and, and turn to them and go, what on here is negotiable? Mm -hmm. just ask that simple question and don't say anything else. And you'll be astounded by the answer because what that, what the HR person will then tell you is what is negotiable? Do they have more cash? Are they willing to move on the salary or, Oh no, the salaries are sort of tight. We're in this range, but we're flexible with equity. It mm -hmm. gives you a window right away. And so for myself, I found out immediately that there was flexibility on the equity side. So I asked for more. Mm -hmm. And again, if you know market ranges and you know what's out there, being able to reasonably ask for more and create an environment where I really want to work here, but I want to negotiate for what I think is, is fair in the marketplace is a very reasonable conversation to have. Mm -hmm. The reality is the majority of people don't do market research, so they feel nervous you know, negotiating because they don't know their own value in the marketplace. Right. And then number two is that the perception is that it's greedy, but at the, at the same time, you know, we're investing our time and energy. There's no, you know, when you're going to a pre IPO company and my target was looking for companies that were 18 to 24 months away from an IPO. This happened in less than 12 months. Mm. You know, my current company, GitLab, I was there 17 months joined pre IPO, but now we've gotten to the liquidity event. Mm. you know, and, and you get this tremendous upside. And so this is overall, what I'm trying to teach people is understand your risk profile, look at, you know, these technology companies from high risk to low risk, right? There's mm. plenty of people that are out there working for Google that are having their salary matched with RSUs. So you're making, let's imagine that you're making $150,000 a year salary, mm. you're getting $150,000 a year equity. And some of that is liquid in the first month. Wow. You know, and my, and my advice to them is, you know, is, is you save your or live off of your salary. You want to make sure that you can live within your salary. You want to celebrate with your bonuses. That's your vacation money. And you want to invest your equity. And Love if you're that. able to do that, guess what? We can all do the math, Elisa. You're going to get to financial independence a lot sooner. Yeah, definitely five years or less. Um, <laughs> right? have that formula. Yeah. Yes. yeah, maybe even three years. Um, and so great that they have an equity. So what do you reinvest that equity into? Do you leave it kind of in the stock, kind of like what you said before earlier with your ESPP program, because you know, the company is going to go bigger or do you like, what else do you do with this? Well, so for me, what I did is I took a step back and I looked at my portfolio and overnight, like we went from, you know, having a, a balanced stock portfolio to we had 90% of our wealth was in a single stock in that I'm telling you right now from a, you know, a pure gut instinct perspective feels bad because you're watching this ticker every day right. and you're seeing your family's net worth go up and down and it's a roller coaster ride. And it's also, you know, you need to diversify to be able to protect and create a financial fortress. And so what we've been focused on doing is creating you know, a portfolio that the ultra wealthy do. What I always look at is you look at, you know, Tiger 21, you can go on their website and their portfolio is roughly, you know, 50, they, they actually have sort of 30%, 35% is equities. The rest is going to be in private equity, some, you know, um, mm -hmm. real estate, or it's going to be in a business that they own, or it's going to be in real estate that they actually own. And yeah. so what I do is I've modeled my portfolio after that. And I said, I want to get at a minimum 50% of our family's portfolio into 
income producing real estate. And that's the key thing, you know, and I think that you and I know, you know, in pursuit of financial independence, if you don't have assets that are sending you checks, it's you're going to then be one of those people on the other side that I'm going to I'm going to drain my portfolio 4% and hopefully it, it lives as long as I do. Right. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, that that's a really good advice over there, Christopher, that you have over there. Um, and let's kind of go back to the IPO part a little bit sure. more. Um, what happens when you first had your IPO? Tell us a little bit about that process, because now you're relearning a lot of things that you uh, don't really have a knowledge on. Where did you kind of start doing these researches and where did so, you find the information? Yeah, so, I mean, the interesting thing is there's research in, in, in understanding your market value, negotiating, getting equity, and then you have it. And then truly, it's like managing an investment at that point, like getting to the IPO is yeah. as, as somebody who's working for the company, you know, the company is going to internally report results, where it's doing with sales, how it's managing its expense line. And then they start messaging that they're going to go for the IPO. At that point, the interesting thing is that the IPO, to go out and do it, it happens in a bit of secrecy. So, you know, for myself, because I'm on the IT side and I have to prepare the systems mm-hmm. for SOCS audit, I understand and I know that. However, a lot of people don't. And so what happens is you all, all of a sudden find out, oh my gosh, we're going to IPO in a few weeks. You're not exactly sure when. Then all of a sudden you get you know, like this gift box. Okay. There's yeah. a party day on Thursday. We're going out. Yeah. And here's what happens is you go out and you're going to be with your coworkers. You're going to be very nervous. You're going to see it float and it's going to, you know, either go up or go down. I, the, the IPOs I've been a part of have gone up, you know, nicely. Yeah. Uh, and then you celebrate, you have this great day, but I'll tell you the first IPO, we have this amazing party And I was able to look in my Schwab account and see all these zeros. And I was just super excited. I go home. My wife was pregnant at the time with our first child. And she looks at me. She goes, this is amazing, honey. When do we get the money? When can we buy the house? Right. And it was at that point that all of a sudden I went into the living room and I sat down head and hands. And I was like, I don't know. Because to your point, Elisa, like I prepped to get to that moment. And so the research that I did after that was really starting to dig into how do you create a divestiture strategy? How do you actually think about harvesting? And so the first thing I did, you know, and I'm, I'm very much a DIY, you know, wealth management guy, but the first thing I did is I went out and I found a very experienced tax professional that said, how can I get this out of the market in the most tax efficient way? And if, you know, if I were to share with, with people here, the first thing that you should do is find a tax professional. Finding a financial advisor, wealth manager is tricky because they're going to have motivations. They're right. going to want to get your dollars, control it to be able to get the fees off of right. it versus a tax person is going to tell you what's the most tax efficient way to get cash. And that was my vision is I wanted the suitcase full of cash. And then at the same time, really starting to study up and understand how do we start, you know, buying and pursuing real estate. Right, right. So real estate has been always kind of in your blood or in the back of my mind, your mind, even when you're starting the juice bar that you mentioned earlier. That's right. Um, And then why so? Why real estate? Why not? Because it sounds like you're very good, very savvy stock investor as well. 
Um, so why real estate? Well, sort of two main reasons. So, so number one is stocks have become a growth tool. So growth, it grows, it expands, but all the dividend stocks have gone away. The bond market is anemic now from mm -hmm. the stock market. There is nothing that's going to send me checks. Number one. Number two is what I learned early on, and I read a tremendous book that helped me understand the math behind real estate is the fact that Real estate gives us four things that the stock market won't give us. Number one is it gives us cash flow if you buy the right assets. It gives us appreciation. We can actually then have equity pay down and it's very tax efficient. So what I saw when I started envisioning my portfolio is, you know, I'm going to, yes, everything in the portfolio has a job. So do I have, you know, some holdings in the stock market that their job is to grow? Of course. And then I have this other portion of my portfolio, its job is to do what? Send me checks, protect mm -hmm. my capital or grow my capital base and send me checks. Mm -hmm. And so that was then my focus on real estate because, you know, like you, Elisa, I realized, okay, if I want to transition out, I, I do not want to be a, a person who is going to be financially independent where I have this pile of money and I'm going to just drain it and hope that it survives, right? right. And it's sort of what I want is I want a portion that is actually replacing my income. So mm -hmm. like you, I've been on the journey to keep investing and saying, you know, my wife and I, our goal is $250,000 a year right. in tax protected income. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's what we're on the way to producing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and so I understand that now you're in your third venture with IPOs. And, and I, I want to just say this, like, it's remarkable how you pick the right company and being part of IPO, because everybody knows in this industry, when you invest in startups, um, being part of the startup, the failure rate is 90%, but you were able to get a success rate of 60%, which means the failure is only 40% on, on that. Um, on, on the three out of two out of the three when IPO, that's some really remarkable picking. And then you mentioned it has to do with network and et cetera. But what are some characteristics that you watch for for the company so you feel like that's a healthy company to join and with with IPO possibilities? I think what what you have to look at first and foremost is the product. Like where is the product? And for me, I have been always focused on B2B product, right? Enterprise level product, because there, if you are in a market, so if you're in cybersecurity now, and cybersecurity is something that people need, we need to be secure. We are, you know, there's government regulations. There's all these things that are saying we have to be secure. Or you can think of Splunk, like this was a tool mm. that, you know, was a little ahead of its time. So if you can understand the product and the market fit, and then also really understand the buyer and what is that total addressable market. Mm -hmm. That's going to really tell you, number one, you know, what is the overall opportunity? Number two, it's really looking at the leadership of the company. Are they either people themselves? Have they brought in the professional CEOs that have been there, done that? These people have a track record and you can say, oh my goodness, this is a skyrocket, right? So mm -hmm. for my first IPO, they had brought in Godfrey Sullivan. Godfrey Sullivan oh, was yeah. proud of a tremendous IPO at Hyperion. He had a track record, was surrounding himself with the pros. That's something that you can see all the time. And the interesting thing is, is now as that company has, 
you know, his people have left that company. I know, hey, the CFO is now at Databricks. He's bringing everyone over to Databricks. Databricks is prepping for a IPO. You know, there's other split off companies that people have gone to that are prepping for different things because they now understand how to do it. So those are, so it's product, product fit, the people, and then it really is the financial fundamentals, right? I mean, how healthy is this company, right? Like venture capital wants companies to grow at all costs, but at some point to get ready, especially for an IPO event, you need to be able to you know, start making sure sales are predictable, that you're hitting and growing steadily quarter over quarter, and you're also managing that expense line. Yeah. So those are some of the basics, but this is what I go into detail on in my book is, you know, really laying out a due diligence process that, you know, people can really, you know, follow and, and understand, okay, how do they actually go and, and look at these different companies? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And then tell us a little bit about, you know, your website, your resources and your book. When is the book coming up? I mean, that's a little well, book right now. It. The book right now is in editing. And so it's probably going to come out sometime this summer. I mean, that's what we're tracking to right now. Awesome. And, you know, right now, you know, from a web, like how to get in touch, like, you know, thrivecommunity.fund is our latest offering that we have is a mobile home park fund. And so one of the things that we do at Wealthward Capital is we provide done for you investments to technology employees to really show them what does a good cash flowing real estate investment look like. And I think especially today with a lot of the multifamily investments that are again, evolving into these growth, you know, vehicles where there's not a lot of cash flow and it will expand your capital. That's great. And maybe exit in two to three years. Our fund is, uh, you know, projected 10.5% cash on cash return, where we do a five-year cash out refi, continue to hold for 10 years so that we're really providing, you know, good, you know, uh, cash flow to our investors. And then we're also predicting a nice equity multiple at the end because we're buying these assets for, you know, uh, undervalued. And so this to me is, is a great opportunity for, technology employees. It's a 506C. It's open to accredited investors to come and take a look. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. And how did you get into real estate and become essentially kind of like a syndicator? I'm mm. assuming, do you call yourself a syndicator? Like how is that journey kind of went? Um, yeah, because I mean, that's, I- a, that's a very different muscle. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a general, I call myself a general partner, right? I mean, because I am truly, I'm more on the, the capital side. I do more of the capital placement than I do uh, the operations. However, you know, I got into this because we were investing as limited partners and we were really on our way to go and build out our portfolio and to mm-hmm. live happily ever after as these uh, financially independent individuals. Yeah. And what happened is a lot of people started reaching out and asking for help. Right. And, you know, first people ask, it's like, okay, yeah, here's what I'm doing. Like, let me show you. But then all of a sudden it went, you know, from two to three to five to 10. And I had to take a step back and say, wait a second. I remember what I went through. I, and all the feelings I had, because there is, there's a psychological effect of this sudden wealth that when you go from nothing, like I was, you know, middle-class, middle-class didn't come from a lot. And when all of a sudden you get this wealth dropped on you, there is a psychological effect if you're not prepared for it. And we did a lot. My wife and I worked together Mm -hmm. to really prepare and and execute for this, you know, and my wife is a child of immigrants. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what I really started realizing is people needed help. And 
I realized like this is my opportunity to give back to my community that's given me so much because a lot of these mentors that I had in the technology side, they actually need help with investing. And so right. some of them are my investors today and are participating me with this. Right. And then this led into, you know, writing the books and really trying to reach into the community and start educating it. And that's why this year I'm going to be kicking off Tech Careers and Money Talk, where yeah. I want to facilitate the conversation on tech careers and money and how do right. technology employees grow their careers, build wealth and make an impact. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, definitely uh, putting that on my calendar to listen into your podcast as well, um, when, when that launches as well. Um, and lastly, Chris, like, we always kind of run it up, but, but let me just kind of tee this off. How does people sure. find more about Thrive Community? You mentioned before, just going to the website, I'm guessing the... Yeah, so there's thrivecommunity.fund is mm-hmm. a website where people can go in there and they can watch a webinar and get to know us. And then they can also book a meeting with me mm-hmm. through that. And then if you want to learn more about my core business, that's WealthWord, W-A-R-D, Wealth, W-A-R-D, like moving you towards wealth. It's an adverb. So it requires motion it requires movement um yeah that's awesome yeah. and then we're gonna put that in the show notes as well and we always um so this is coming towards the end of our interview here i feel like i can talk to you for five hours uh <laughs> and uh, so but you know we always kind of started our interview with who influenced when you grow up and i yeah. understand you have three uh, beautiful children yourself yeah. And uh, what are you doing today to prepare them to be financially savvy, financially literate, um, and also um, learning to to have the freedom to of choice in their life? Yeah. So what my wife and I did is we actually created a business for our sons, right? And we didn't really make it. I mean, we gave them a choice, but there wasn't a lot of options. But what we did is we felt like we wanted to show them a few things. Number one is I was taught by my grandfather, you learn to work with your hands. And if you want to do that, great. But if you don't, then you need to learn to work with your head. But the work ethic is the same. Mm -hmm. And so what we did for our boys is, uh, you know, we now live in Austin, Texas. And so moving here, we got a place with some land Mm -hmm. and we built a chicken coop. And then we said, we're, we're willing to then, you know, pay for the coop and to uh, buy your first chickens. But if you want to, you guys can start an egg business and we're going to show you how to run it. And so what we've done is we have, you know, uh, egg collection sheets where they collect the eggs, they track the breakage, they track some of the dirty ones that we can't sell. And then they say, okay, here's our supply. And then at the end of the week, you know, my wife and I, we've set up on a next door, we help them sell the eggs. So we get the customers because we don't want our kids transacting directly with adults or still really young. But yeah. then we have, we set up during 2020, this drive through. So they go and they know the orders up. Okay. Yeah. They go and put the order on the bench. People mainly come on Saturday and then they can Venmo or cash can. Then they do end of the week accounting where then they are able to release the funds. And we show them that they need to um, you know, donate some dollars. Like we need to give to those who don't have as much as we do. They need to save some and mm-hmm. then they, they get some spending money. That's and then what we've done is, as we, as I've been creating investments, like I have an open door policy here. If the doors open, the guys can come here and sit respectfully and observe. They saw some of the investments we were putting together and they said, Hey, we want to, 
contribute. So obviously they're part of our accredited umbrella, but we've given them a small percent that now they've started investing passively in our investments and are seeing some of the results of that. And so, you know, we're just continuing to, you know, share with them, you know, we do actually have a small uh, portfolio. My wife has um, five single family homes and some Airbnbs. And so she takes the boys and all that business as well and shares that with them. So, you know, we just want to make sure that they understand it. And more than anything right now, we're focused on, you know, how do you actually, you know, save and manage your money and, and then also, you know, bend for themselves. I think that's the biggest thing is how do we, how do we teach them financial independence? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Like I, I would say you're definitely among um, a few guests that on my show that are so meticulously like creating a whole system for them where they kind of benefit the learning every aspect of the business building over there. Um, and one last question I have, like you just mentioned, this is very curious for me to figure out too, is how do you actually get them under the uh, umbrella of a credit? Like do you set up a, a, some sort of trust where they can participate or? Um, no, no. What they do is essentially, right, is, is we've invested our money, but then, you know, they, they give us the cash and then we just give them a portion of the proceeds. Sure. So gotcha. we're the accredited investors. But we, what we do is we track it on a spreadsheet so that they can see. If that that's makes awesome. Sense. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because because uh, I think that's I think everybody should be taking that exercise if you have your children, you know, as early as they could understood it yeah. uh, to kind of show them these opportunities as well. Well, it's been a great time for me, Christopher. Unfortunately, we have to end our show right now. Uh, and then once again, we're going to be putting all your resources uh, underneath in our show notes. And there's been wealth of knowledge that you've been sharing over here. And then best luck on the Nodo to IPO um, book. You. And then definitely be looking forward to buy a copy of it once it comes up. Um, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And then I'd love to, as we get ready for launch, I'd love to come back on and we can do a deep dive uh, for your listeners on that book. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a huge tips that can be shared over here as well. Well, because I think, you know, what, what drew me to your brand, right, was was when you talk about the 10,000 roads to financial independence. And I think one of the things that I'm trying to encourage people is I think a lot of us got here through our W-2 jobs. And what mm-hmm. I am trying to really take to W-2 employees is always work for equity. If you're right. going to go have a W-2 job, you know, you don't have to be a coder. You can be a salesperson. You can be in finance. You can be in HR, but you can be working for a company and getting equity, which will then, you know, what I call it is, is compound your career compensation so that then you can find your road to financial freedom for financial independence a little faster. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christopher. And- you're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, and then this wraps up for another episode of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. Thank you. Bye. Bye.